Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker, and I am an author, speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I love having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members and guests at IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. Today, we have the privilege of sitting with Professor Israel Knoll. He is a professor of Bible at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, as well as a senior fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem. He has written several books, including The Messiah Before Jesus and The Suffering Servant of the Dead Sea Scrolls. However, he has a new book that is titled The Messiah Confrontation, and the subtitle is Pharisees versus Sadducees and the Death of Jesus. And that is an interesting idea, right? To trace the idea of the concept of Messiah and then examine how the Pharisees and the Sadducees land on the issue, which is exactly why Dr. Yeshaya Gruber invited Professor Knoll to sit and talk with him at a round table talk. You will find a link to the whole conversation in the episode notes. Here in the podcast, however, we're going to get a small taste of what they talked about. And we will start where Professor Knoll starts in his new book, The Growth and Development of Messianic Expectations in the Hebrew Bible or in the Tanakh. Uh, I point to a confrontation, a debate, a machloket in Hebrew. Uh, between, we can call it, two schools uh, of thought uh, within the Hebrew Bible. One is uh, messianic, and the other one is non-messianic, anti-messianic. You can call it in in different names. Let me start with the messianic. I see the roots, the foundations, of the messianic idea in the Psalms. Well, the the book of Psalms, of course, is a a collection of of different Psalms from different periods. Some are very early, some are from the exile time on the the rivers of Babylon, et cetera, and post-exilic. And But uh, within the Psalms, we have a group of uh, royal Psalms, those who speak about the king. And according to the plain meaning of the Psalms, they are talking about the current king, the current king of Judah or the current king of the northern kingdom Israel. And they speak about this king as an elevated figure who is uh, sometimes described as the son of God. Sometimes he is blessed and or promised eternal life. And he's elevated in Psalm 110 to sit beside God. 
very, uh, I would say, an effort to elevate the figure of the king to a superhuman status. He is not like the regular people. He's elevated to a status, I would say, superhuman or semi-divine, somewhere in between the regular humanity and God. And this is, in my view, the foundation of the Messianic school. However, at several points in history, and according uh, to my time, uh, to my understanding, uh, this happened in the time of the prophet uh, Isaiah, uh, son of Amos, who lived in the eighth century BCE. Uh, he was very much disappointed of the behavior of the king of his time, Ahaz, because Ahaz was attacked by a coalition of uh, of uh, Aram and Israel. This uh, is described in the early chapters of the book of Isaiah. And um, he did not follow the advice of the prophet. The prophet said to him, trust God, nothing will happen. You should trust God. and." his enemies will go and disappear. He didn't listen. And what he did, Ahaz, we learn about it from the Book of Kings. He invited the king of Assyria, Tiglat Pileser III. He sent to him the words, I am your servant. I'm your uh, vassal king. Uh, please come and help me from the hands of the king of Aram and the king of Israel. At this moment, Ahaz gave up the independence of Judea. Judea lost its independence and became a vassal kingdom to Assyria. And Isaiah was very, very upset with this move. And he said to himself, this is how I understand the move. He said to himself, Oh, we, we, we cannot talk about this weak king, an unbeliever who is not trust God. We cannot speak about him in this elevated language. The elevated language should be kept to the future. In the future, they will come from the root of David a blessed and elevated king. He is the one that we have to wait for him. So from this moment, we have the messianic anticipation. It's not a language about the current king, but an expectation to the king which will come. And he, a child will be born to us and he would be everlasting and uh, full of wisdom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are the, the 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 famous prophecy in the beginning of chapter nine. It's the reaction of Isaiah to the behavior of. Uh, yet it is connected to the house of David. So uh, the the important thing is that no matter if we speak about current king or future king, the future king will come from the house of David. And, and Isaiah was followed by Jeremiah and, uh, and other uh, prophets uh, 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 in the Hebrew Bible. So this is one school, the Messianic school. At the other, 
there are those like the Torah, the prophet Ozea who lived in the Northern Kingdom, who were very critical generally with the idea of kingdom, of the idea of kings. There is a strong memory of in Israel of the period before the kings, the period of the judges, where Israel had no king. God was the king of Israel. So this is in a way on the background, but there is also another theological issue. The other school is very strong about keeping the distinction between human and divine. It is impossible to talk about son of God because this will make God as involved in a procreation of a son, which according to this school is impossible. God is elevated above the whole process of birth, sexuality, procreation, death. He is elevated, he is detached from this biological process. This biological process, it belongs to people, but God cannot take part in it. So they keep very much, they don't want anybody, even Moses, the man who, the man who, who approached God, et cetera, et cetera. One and 120 years, he must die in order to make, there is no eternity within humanity. Human beings are to be dead at the end. This is the distinction between the human and the divine. Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden because God did not want them to eat from the tree of life to get it, to get eternity. So this is a different school because in the other schools they bless the king with eternity. Here they say no, 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 eternity, eternal life is for God, human beings, including the king, are under the limit of death after 120 years. Speaking of kings, let's fast forward beyond the Babylonian exile. What happens when there is no Israelite king anymore? There is no leader to rebuke for not leading God's people well. Instead, there is a powerful foreign ruler. In this time, what can we see about messianic expectations? Well, you know, the Second Temple period at the beginning, in the time of the return from the exile, there is some, uh, of course, uh, renovation, uh, renaissance of the messianic ideas. We see it clearly in Haggai and Zechariah that they, they uh, want uh, the messianic uh, leader to be there very strong. And it, it was not just a theoretical expectation, it uh, was connected with the leader of the, uh, the first community, Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, who was, he was one of the Davidic family. Well, but the situation was very complicated because they were under the rule of the Persian kingdom, 
And Cyrus, when he let them go back, he wanted them to rebuild the temple, but for sure not to have independent kingdom because he is the king. There is no possibility of having another king when Cyrus is your ruler. So it was very delicate and complicated. Sometimes you have to create, you know, titles for this person which you, you don't want to say Zerubbabel, so you say Tzemach. This is the plan, Tzemach. Mm-hmm. This is what we have in Zachariah, but probably he referred to him. But, you know, there is a fear. You don't know uh, what the government will do to you if you will be too much involved in messianic expectation connected with, with Zerubbabel. Somehow, in some moment, very early in the Persian period, Zerubbabel disappeared. He's not there when they uh, celebrate the the, uh, the new temple. He's already disappeared. We don't know. It's a mystery. What happened to the Zerubbabel? Uh, did he die a natural death? Was he killed by the Persian? Was he exiled by the Persian? We don't know. It's a mystery. But the fact is that from the moment when uh, Zerubbabel disappeared, we have like about 400 years of silence about the Messiah. Nobody is talking about the Messiah. Uh, Most of the Persian period and in the Hellenistic period, they don't expect the Messiah. They don't talk about the Messiah. The first time when we start to hear again about the Messiah is in the Dead Sea Scrolls, probably around the year 100 BC. And then in some, in the circles of the Pharisees. So there was long period of coma. The the idea, the messianic expectation was in coma till the I would say hundred then and, and seventy years before the time of the destruction of the temple. Persia is in charge. People return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, and some of the prophets talk about Zerubbabel as an important leader. But that is a dangerous proposition, right? A messiah when a powerful ruler like Cyrus is in charge? Professor Noel then points out a differing point of view we see in Isaiah. Now, Isaiah the book, not the person, but Isaiah the book is quite complex. And most scholars would say that the book is compiled from a couple sources because different historical backgrounds seem evident in portions of the book. So, for instance, Deutero-Isaiah, or the second Isaiah, is thought to be compiled by Isaiah's students and includes chapters 40 through 66. And sometimes that segment is even further divided into chapters 
chapters 40 to 55, and then 56 to 66. Now, this is a whole different conversation about the compilation of different books of the Bible. But the pertinent question here is how were ideas about the Messiah communicated at a time when a leader like Cyrus was in charge? I spoke about Haggai and Zechariah, but the amazing thing is that the prophets that we call Deuter Isaiah, second Isaiah, from chapter 40 onward, he probably thought that the messianic idea in its old form uh, is lost forever. So he calls Cyrus the Messiah, and he calls Cyrus my shepherd. And he says that the covenant and the mercies which were promised to David will be given now to the entire community, not just at the house of David. So Deutra Isaiah is very much, I wouldn't say anti-Messianic, but anti-Messianic in the sense that the Messianism that we we knew before and we know after in Haggai Zechariah, he has no expectation from the house of David. He doesn't speak of a person which will come from the house of David. Of course, there is the question of the suffering servant, but nothing is said in chapters about the servant which connects him to, to the house of David. So the Gentile, Cyrus, is the new Messiah. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is a great evidence that it was very difficult to keep under the Persian rulership the old expectations about the house of David. As an aside, Professor Noel and Dr. Yeshaya Gruber talk about the suffering servant in the first roundtable talk they had. I will also put a link to that particular talk in the show notes if you want to follow up on that conversation. In this conversation, however, I think it's so interesting that the Hebrew Bible has diverse views of the Messiah. And what happens when we get further into Second Temple period and we have groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees? How did they read their own scriptures and where did they land on the idea of a Messiah? Unlike the Sadducees, who continued the anti-Messianic tradition of the Torah, the Pharisees were support very much enthusiastic about the Messianic idea. The greatest rabbi of the Pharisaic rabbinic tradition is Rabbi Akiba, who was the leader of the rabbinic school around the time of the Bar Kokhba revolt, 132 and 135. He supported Bar Kokhba. He called him the Messiah. And he was killed uh, at the end of the rebellion when the rebellion was crushed by the Romans. They, They took him to Caesarea, which was their capital, and they tortured tortured him and killed him 
on the blame that he, he taught the Torah, even though toting of the Torah, uh, teaching of the Torah was, was, was prohibited by the Romans at that time. Rabbi Akiva is having debate with another rabbi about the famous verse in Daniel, Daniel 7. It is said in Daniel 7 that two thrones were put in heaven and uh, uh, one of them is of course for God and the other one is probably kept for the son of man, which is a prominent figure in Daniel 7. And uh, the question is, how can we understand uh, the, these two thrones? And, and, and Rabbi Akiva said, one for God, the other for David, namely the messianic leader of the house of David. So Rabbi Akiva was expecting a messianic leader from the house of David, an elevated Messiah who will sit on heaven on the right hand of God, which is exactly the words that Jesus said to the high priest. So they share the same expectation. This is something we need to dig into next week. What about that trial of Jesus, especially when he quotes from Daniel? Who would have been there? And what did those present expect out of a Messiah? And does that lead to the ultimate death of Jesus? So stay tuned for that conversation next week. If you like these kinds of conversations, join us at IBC where you have access to so many amazing courses that dig into details of culture and interpretation. You can even earn credit towards Israel Bible Center certificate program in Jewish context and culture. Thank you, Jeremy McDonald from Mason Jar Music for doing such a great job editing, mixing, and adding in all the good music. And thank you for hanging out with me and being curious about all things Bible related. 